Chapter 8 of Dawn of the Morning. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rosamond Kingsley, 98. Dawn of the Morning by Grace Livingston Hill. Chapter 8. All the afternoon Madame Winthrop had steadily refused to converse about her oldest son. The party were nearing the edge of town where the Van Rensselaers lived. Twice Charles had endeavored to bring his mother's mind to the subject, and once his father had said, Now, mother, it is absolutely necessary that you put aside your attitude and let me tell you all about this matter. But to all advances she was adamant. I shall never allow you to say such wicked things about my son, declared the old lady, rising from her seat and attempting to get out of the coach. They were compelled to give it up and trust to developments. The stars were coming out when they entered the village streets. The father called to his daughters to wait a moment, and he stopped the coach horses. Turning around in his seat, he faced his wife. Janet, said he and his voice was firm as when he was a young man. It is best that the family stop at the inn, while Charles and I go on to the house and make the family acquainted with the truth. I wish you and Martha and the girls to stop here and wait until our return. The old lady looked ahead impatiently, as if she did not see her husband. I shall do nothing of the kind, Mr. Winthrop, she said. You may as well save time by driving on. The anger was rising in the old gentleman's face. He had been defied for years and had borne it with fortitude and a measure of amusement. He had always felt that he could assert himself when he chose. But now he had chosen, and apparently he had been mistaken all these years. His wife would not obey. It was mortifying, and especially before his son and his sister. He turned sharply to Martha, sitting frightened and meek in the dark corner of the coach. Martha! Get out, he commanded, in a tone she had never disobeyed. Martha proceeded to obey hastily. Don't you do any such foolish thing, Martha Winthrop. You stay right where you are. I won't have any scenes, said Madame Winthrop. Martha paused and put her mitted hand on her heart. Martha, this is my carriage, and you are my sister, and I tell you to get out. Martha had not heard that voice from her brother's lips for forty years. She got out. Pompey! Caesar, to the two negroes who drove up at that moment. See that the ladies are cared for in the inn until our return. Attend to the other carriage, and tell the young ladies it is my wish that they remain in the inn parlor until I come back. With grave dignity, the master of the situation guided his horse past the carryall and down the dim evening street. Madame Winthrop sat amazed, with two red spots on her cheeks. "'It seems to me, Mr. Winthrop,' she said coldly, when they had gone some distance, "'that you are carrying things with a pretty high hand. "'If had I had known that such traits would ever develop in you, "'I am sure I should have never left the shelter of my father's house.' "'Her husband made no reply. "'As the coach drew up before the fine old house, "'Mr. Van Rensselaer came out to greet the arrivals. "'Madame Winthrop sat up with grave dignity,' and allowed him to hand her down and escort her into the house. Mrs. Van Rensselaer met her with the nervous ceremony in the wide hall and took her into the stately parlor. 
Once there, the lady looked about her as if in search of someone, scarcely noticing her hostess. "'Where is my son?' she asked. "'I suppose he would be here. Will you tell Harrington that his mother wishes to see him at once? It is most important.' "'Your son has not yet arrived,' said the other woman, watching her jealously. "'We do not expect him until the morning train.' She mentioned the train with an air of pride, for the new railroad was a matter of vast importance to the little city. A few miles of railroad was a wonderful distinction in a land when railroads had just begun to be, but the guest had no recognition for such things. "'Not here yet. I supposed, of course, he would have arrived. Then, if it is convenient, I will go directly to my room, as I am very much worn out. No, thank you. I could not eat a mouthful to-night. You may send me a cup of tea, if you please.' Dawn had fled in a panic far into the depths of the garden. Crouched behind the tall, clipped hedges, her heart beating wildly, she listened, while frightened tears stood in her eyes. If she had dared, if she had known where to go, she would have fled out into the dark, unknown world at that moment. So did her heart revolt at the thought of her marriage. She listened. The night was very sweet with roses and honeysuckles and the faint waft of mignonette all about her mingled with the breath of heliotrope. But only the night sounds came to her, the plaintive cricket monotonously playing his part in the symphony of the evening, the tree-toads shrilly piping here and there with the bass of a frog in the mill-pond just below the hill, the screech-owl coming in with his obligato, the murmur of the brook in the ravine not far away, and the sighing of the night-wind over all. A sudden hush seemed to have come over the house, with only the faint echo of voices. Oh, if there were but a place in the world where she might slip away, and never be found! It would be terrible to leave them that way, with the wedding all prepared. But she would not care what she did, if only she might get away from it all. The coach had been sent to the stables, and the gentlemen were closeted with Mr. Van Rensselaer in his library, the room made memorable to dawn by so many sorrowful scenes. It was right and fitting that the revelation should be made within the sombre walls, where had been enacted so many tragedies connected with the little girl. What passed within that door no one knew exactly, save the three who took part in the low-voiced conversation. The lady of the house sat in gloomy mortification, within her stately parlour, reviewing with vexed mind the recent interview between herself and the mother of the bridegroom. Mrs. Van Rensselaer decided that the other woman was a most unpleasant person with whom she wished to have as little to do as possible in future. It was well that she and her stepdaughter had little in common if this was the kind of family she was marrying into. The low tones in the library went on. The lady of the house did not like the idea of being shut out. What could they be talking about? How very strange! Had something happened to the bridegroom? They looked so solemn when they came in. Mrs. Van Rensselaer caught her breath at the thought. It would be nothing short of a catastrophe to have the girl-bride on her hands, if the wedding were to be delayed for any reason. The child was almost beside herself now with excitement and nervousness. It was positively uncanny to have her around. She was making herself sick. One could see that at a glance, even if one didn't love her very much. 
Of course, she would settle down and be all right after she was married. Girls always did. This girl was particularly headstrong, and it was as well that her prospective husband was older than herself and would be able to control her wild fancies and put her through wise discipline. Mrs. Van Rensselaer was one of those who think all women save themselves need discipline. While she meditated, Dawn flitted in at the front door noiselessly and stole up the stair like a wraith, her white dress flashing by the parlor before her stepmother could sense what it was. The woman started angrily. It was one of the things about the girl that vexed her, this stealing softly by and giving no warning that she was near. Her stepmother named it slyness. In a moment more, the library door opened and her name was called. She went into the hall with an attitude that said plainly she felt insulted by the way things were going. "'Where is Jemima?' asked her husband, and she saw by his face that something unusual had happened. His look was that he had worn the day he came home from seeing his dead wife. Jemima, indeed, why did he not consult her first? She bustled up to the door. Jemima has gone to her room, she said decidedly. By this time she has retired. It would be better not to disturb her. She has been very nervous and excited all day. To the two guests inside the library, the protest sounded like loving solicitation. Perhaps the woman meant it should. She had been wont to show her interest thus before Don's father, and seldom let him know her true feeling toward the girl. Mr. Van Rensselaer's severe brow did not relax. He was used to having life thicken around him in hard experiences, both for himself and for those who were dependent upon him. "'It will be necessary for her to know to-night, I think, Maria,' he said. "'Sit down, and I will give you the facts. "'It may be best for you to tell her, after all.' "'With the injured importance of one "'who feels she should have been told at the first, "'Mrs. Van Rensselaer sat upon the extreme edge of a stiff chair, "'grudgingly, not to seem too eager to be told. "'Maria, Mr. Winthrop has kindly come to inform us "'of a most unfortunate state of things relating to the young man who was to have married Jemima tomorrow morning. Mr. Van Rensselaer held her breath, and her face actually blanched with the vision of the future. Was to have married? Then something had occurred to stop it. Her premonitions had been correct. Well, she would do something to get that whimsical minx out of her house anyway. Her husband needn't think she was to live her lifetime out in the same house with that girl. She set her lips together hard in a thin line of defense. I realize that the whole thing is painful in the extreme to my friend, Mr. Winthrop. So, it is not necessary for us to discuss the matter at length. It is sufficient for you and my daughter to know that it has been discovered by Mr. Winthrop that his son Harrington is already married to a woman who is still living and who is the mother of his two children. The situation is most embarrassing on both sides, and it will be necessary for my daughter to understand it at once. There was a quick, eager movement of the young man on the other side of the big desk, but no one noticed him. Mrs. Van Rensselaer was perhaps the only one in the room whose heart was not wrung with the anguish of the moment. A most unpleasant state of things, Mr. Winthrop, she said sharply, turning to the elder guest. 
the old man bowed his head in assent too overcome to reply but one for which mr winthrop and his family are in no wise to blame of course said mr van rensselaer quickly i suppose not said his wife dryly in a tone which implied that there was more than one way of looking at the matter the first thing is to tell jemima said her father i am sure i don't in the least see why responded his wife the first thing is to plan what is to be done jemima is far better off asleep until we arrange it all she will make a fuss of course girls always make a fuss whatever happens charles eyed the woman indignantly the color rising in his face but mr van rensselaer i he began eagerly yes certainly mr winthrop i am coming to that there is another matter maria that slightly changes the affair this young man mr charles winthrop has most thoughtfully offered a suggestion which may help us out of the dilemma in which we are all placed mrs van rensselaer turned toward him sharply and saw that he was good to look upon well she said dryly as her husband hesitated if miss van rensselaer is willing put in charles shyly with a wistful eyes and a smile that would have melted any but a woman with a heart made of pig iron mrs van rensselaer pursed her lips at the miss applied to jemima and thought in her heart she would see that miss van rensselaer was willing for anything that would help them out of this most embarrassing situation mr winthrop has offered his hand to my daughter went on the father dropping his eyes and getting out the sentence stiffly it was all painful to him somehow in the last few minutes it had come to him that she who had been mary montgomery would think he had bungled her daughter's life most terribly he was shaken with the thought it had been a relief to think that the girl was to be happily married but now he proposes to marry her himself to-morrow morning at the hour appointed for the other marriage went on mr van rensselaer with her consent of course put in charles very commendable i'm sure commented mrs van rensselaer while she did some rapid thinking here was her chance the girl must marry this young man whether she would or no all those relatives who were coming to-morrow should not have a chance to scoff at her proud arrangements the stepmother desired that they should all see how well she had done for the girl who was not her own besides he was a goodly youth full as handsome as the other man and of the same family what was there to object to the girl might even be pleased though there was no forecasting that such a queer girl would probably do the opposite from what was expected of her the matter with her was that she was too young to know what she did want and in the present circumstances it was best for her that someone else should decide her fate she mrs van rensselaer would decide it she would take matters into her own hands and see that all went the way it should go meantime she picked at a bit of thread on her immaculate gown and to make time for thought murmured again most commendable i'm sure charles face lighted with hope he was ready to fall upon the cold-looking lady's neck and embrace her if that would hasten matters he thought she looked more pleasing than when he had first seen her i think mr van rensselaer you would do well to leave this matter in my hands now as you say it is a very delicate situation and one that must be handled most carefully 
I will go to Jemima at once and talk with her. I must break the news gently. Of course, of course, the poor lamb, murmured the kind old father of the reprobate bridegroom. She is very nervous and quite unstrung with the day's preparation, went on the stepmother, the more to work her will upon the feelings of those present. Of course, of course, poor child. Don't distress her any more than is necessary, I beg. It is dreadful for her, dreadful. But it isn't quite, as if she had never seen me, put in Charles wistfully. Tell her I have loved her from the first sight I had of her. The woman turned the chilly searchlight of her eyes upon the young man's ardent face, and a sense of foreboding passed over him. Poor soul, she was only wondering what it must be like to have someone talk in that way about one. Still, she was keen to see an advantage, and knew it would help her in the task she had set herself, to get rid of her stepdaughter. "'Whatever you think best, Maria,' assented Don's father wearily. He was glad, after all, not to have to tell the girl. He had come to fear her eyes, which were like her mother's, and her temper, which was his own. "'Of course, of course,' said old Mr. Winthrop. Don's father bowed once more his assent. In his heart he heard again the words, "'You have no right, you have no right. Would the sin of his youth never be expiated by sorrow?' Mrs. Van Rensselaer arose. "'I will go up and talk with her,' she said coolly, as though it were quite an ordinary matter under discussion. "'You will ask her to come down and let me talk to her,' asked Charles, following her into the hall. "'I think perhaps I can make her see it better than anyone else.' The woman looked him over, frowning. This ardent youth was going to be hard to control. She must be wary, or he would upset all their plans, as well as his own.' "'I will see what is best,' she answered coldly. "'Remember, she has retired, and this will be a great shock to her. "'It would be better for you to give her a little time to recover and to think it over. "'Leave it to me. I will do my best for you.' She tried to smile, but conveyed rather an expression of arrogance than of anything else. "'Of course,' the young man drew back thoughtfully. "'Do not hurry her.' She passed up the stairs, and Charles wandered out the front door and into the moonlit garden. He stood and listened to the harmony of sound and looked up reverently toward a chamber window where glimmered a candlelight. He wondered if even now she was listening to his message, and his heart was lifted high with hope. End of chapter 8 Recording by Rosamond Kingsley